I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Lip Media Podcast. This is Off Topic Hot Topic, a bonus episode of the Hunting Seasons Podcast. You do realize that Bebe is crying. Off Topic Hot Topic. That's whatever you were talking about for you. Before we get into things, you should know that we love getting topic suggestions from our listeners. So if you'd like to contribute a question, topic, or story to Off Topic Hot Topic, you can do so by emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or tweeting us at huntingscast. News in fuller. We always love to start the show, any off-topic, hot topic, with a bit of uh, what's Brian Fuller, renowned showrunner, up to these days. As per, not much in the world of actual TV. However, maybe it's worth noting, if you are a Brian Fuller fan, that the moment he's doing um, a 31 days of scary scenes that made an impact the first time you saw them, post a picture, no explanation, running thing on Twitter. So... That's something, I guess. It's a Halloween thing he's doing. I didn't understand a goddamn word of that, but it sounds <laughs> every, fine. Every, every day for 31 days leading up to Halloween, he's asking people and he himself is sharing a frame from a scary scene that made an impact the first time he saw it. And he's right. asking followers to do that. You going to jump on board that, Damask, and get on the Brian Fuller train? Um, yeah, probably not. I'm going to cancel that before it begins, like everything else he does. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Would you like some headlines? I would love some headlines, Brad. Let's start with a juicy rumor. Kind of juicy. <gasps> also kind Ooh. of explained. Also kind of expected, I should say, Samuel L. Jackson is rumored to be reprising his role as Nick Fury for a Nick Fury Disney Plus series. Does that uh, excite you in any way? Um, I love Samuel. I don't know if I want to know that much about Nick Fury. I like him just kind of on the periphery. So I'm not sure about that one. You think it might destroy his mystique, you know, his secret image if we know too much about him? Yeah, I mean, we got a bit of him from Captain Marvel. Mm. And that was probably enough, I think, for me. Fair enough, fair enough. You're not going to anticipate that as much as... uh WandaVision or any of the other Marvel films? No, I'm really looking forward to WandaVision, but as... As for a Nick Fury TV show, not so much. Actually, that's not something I put in my rundown. I'm pretty sure since, definitely since the last time we did an off-topic, hot-topic, the WandaVision trailer came out, the like minute and a half, one or whatever it was. Did you check that out? Mm-hmm. Of course I did. What did you think? I'm very excited. I'm, yeah, very uh, pumped uh, for that one. Really liking where that show's going. It's, it's, it's at least how they're advertising and promoting it is exactly what I wanted from that premise. Um, and I also feel like they keep showing us mostly the stuff from like the third black and white era, which I imagine is where that sort of starts. And then just snippets of the evolution of that into other areas of TV. I'm so excited for that. Can't wait for. I'm just fascinated. It's coming out in regards to like what's it all about? Like they've they've that trailer was very effective. I think. I agree. I agree. Uh, some announcements 
And I'm going to read this next bit from the excellently titled piece by William Hughes at the AV Club. Wait, how is Ryan Murphy only just now doing a Jeffrey Dahmer show? So... Well done, William. Uh, Today in news that feels like it should have arrived in like 2014, Ryan Murphy is making a TV show about Jeffrey Dahmer. Variety reports that America's premier employer of TV murder clowns and historical reenactors, at least for the real knifey bits of history, has set up a new limited series about the notorious serial killer as part of his big fancy deal at Netflix. Titled Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story, the series will track the many, many instances in which Dahmer, who killed, mutilated, ate, etc., at least 15 people in the back quarter of the 20th century, but who had the good luck to be born white in America was arrested or otherwise investigated but then let go by authorities who just couldn't believe this nice young man was killing and otherwise doing terrible things to all these other nice young men. Murphy developed the series with producing partner Ian Burnham, who would have thought, and Mindhunter's Carl Franklin and Poser's Janet Mock attached to direct. I wanted to read it out because I wanted to get to that part particularly because obviously we've just done mm-hmm. post-season one um, yeah. and we're talking about eventually getting to post-season two and Janet Mock um, is all over those sh- that those seasons. Yes. Uh, I'm down for Janet Mock. Her episode of Pose was my favourite of season one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's a wonderful writer, um, so I'd be interested to see her uh, directorial uh, talents as well. I mean, I watched... Well, we both watched that American crime story one about that dude who killed a bunch of people. I wasn't a big fan of that. Um, I'm not super enthused about it either. Uh, I I don't know. Like, I've got, like, Ryan Murphy fatigue. I don't think he's particularly good at telling nuanced stories. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'll wait to see some reviews, I guess. Well, we've got that the Monica Lewinsky one coming out. Um, I think it's meant to premiere on election night or, or a week before the election or something like that, I'm pretty sure. So that's coming up mm. pretty soon, unless that's been pushed back and possibly because of COVID-19 since that was announced. So mm-hmm. we've got that to look, for from, look forward to from Ryan Murphy. I'm just surprised this isn't just another American crime story. It's like it is an American crime story, is it not? Why does it have to be a monsters thing? Or do you just want to separate it from the fact that he already did the um, the one about the Miami murderer guy? Probably he wants to mix it up a bit, um, start a new franchise of... Uh, Keep spinning up. Absolute nonsense. Yeah. I mean, all his shows uh, are pretty fucking similar, so he has to find some kind of way to differentiate them, I guess. Sure. Uh, I keep thinking that Ratcheted show on Netflix is Ryan Murphy as well. I don't think it is, but it just gives me that vibe just because I of its existence. I think it is, isn't it? Oh, is it? Is it too? I mean, it's got Sarah Paulson in it, so it would make sense to me. Steph's Let's watching it as we record. Developed by Ryan Murphy. Of course it is. I was right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Predictable. I mean, I'm glad Sarah Paulson is getting a shit ton of work, but sure. it's just a shame that it's his project's... <laughs> um, just one release date to announce today Peacock's Saved by the Bell reboot To premiere November 25th for People who are hanging out for that That will come out day and date in Australia As well, so November 26th by the time it releases In the States mm-hmm. Some exciting, are you looking forward to that anyway? Like are you a fan of Saved by the Bell? I was when I was Very, very little um, yeah. And There's a few Episodes in there that are genuinely hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. There's a great video essay 
Or is it? No, it's a, I think it's a video series on YouTube about how Zach, the main guy, is like a sociopath, which I have really enjoyed. <laughs> um, so I'll be interesting to see what, like the tone of it, I think. I'll be very interested to see that. Do you think they could lean into that idea? Because that would be fun. <laughs> who, who knows? I mean, it could just be like, are people from the original series involved in it? Or is it like next gen, like Degrassi? Oh. I honestly don't know. I don't know whether it's like a reimagining of the characters in the style of Riverdale. I don't know whether this is some sort of sequel series or spin-off series. I mean, we've got that Bel Air reboot coming, you know, where it's like a, just a darkened yeah. version like that. That's why I'm I hope it's like at least got a bit of tongue in cheek. Otherwise, I'm not going to waste my time. Sure. In casting news, Tatiana Maslany. I think is how you say her name, uh, mm-hmm. key actor from Orphan Black, uh, is Disney Plus's She-Hulk. Yes. Um, how do you feel about this news? Are you familiar with the character of She-Hulk? Um, only very generally, but when I, I otherwise wouldn't probably be interested in the series except for uh, Tatiana Maslany in the titular role which i'm very excited about because she's incredible so i'll, I'll probably ha, 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 incredible get it um i will <laughs> probably check it out just for her i think i reckon stephanie beatriz might be green with envy because uh it went to tatiana get it green um i don't her, get it, it was a big thing <laughs> it was a big fan campaign to get her into uh that role um but yeah i'm excited uh that I have seen Tatiana in very little, but what I've seen her in, I've really liked. And obviously, everyone talks mm-hmm. about her performance in uh, Orphan Black all the time, her multiple performances in that. Um, as you can imagine, there has been an understandable uh, backlash criticism that Maslany is not ripped or buxom enough for the role. Fucking SJWs ruin everything. Uh, well, as we that? all know, Mark Ruffalo is notoriously ripped and buff as the Incredible Hulk. So I can see how those criticisms are totally valid well this is actually an interesting point because you don't know how this is being done but in the comics she hulk is much closer to like human proportions than hulk is aside from mm. them being comic book proportions which make them completely un- unrealistic and unattainable but like like generally human ish size um she's like and has intelligence unlike the hulk does she's a lawyer and so such and she i think she's mostly just green if not always green unlike hulk, mm. hulk again which transforms back and forth um so the question is, is she just going to be greened up or is she going to be some sort of like CGI character like Mark Ruffalo does? And I'm kind of thinking they might be doing the CGI thing. I think that's where they're going with it. That'd be expensive for a show though. Is it Disney making it though? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's Disney plus. Yeah. Show. I'm, I feel like, but then again, they did do Mulan and that was a feature film and the special effects on that were fucking shit. So who knows? Uh, newcomer Iman Vellani has been cast as Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Ms. Marvel, in that un- mm. upcoming Disney Plus series. That's exciting news. Uh, Kamala Khan has been a fan favourite of the comics for a while, has c- recently gained even more popularity as the kind of the lead protagonist in the New Avengers video game uh, that's come out in the last couple of months now i think it is um she's sort of there's it, she's surrounded by like the normal avengers like cap and thor and iron man stuff like that but they've used her as sort of like the fan um surrogate the outsider and mm. a lot of people really 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 loving her character i think they've timed this announcement and the that this show is coming up really really well are you excited for this show 
Yeah, that's a comic series that I've been meaning to get to for quite a mm. while because I have the Marvel Unlimited subscription thing. So it's on my list, but I haven't got around to it just yet. So no, I'm now that the TV, was it TV series? Yeah. Uh, Disney Plus TV series, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now that that's coming out, I won't have to read it. So I'm keen as beans. So, so far we've announced tonight, or not announced, but we have mentioned Nick Fury TV series, uh, mm-hmm. Ms. Marvel TV series, and uh, She-Hulk TV series, all coming to Disney mm-hmm. Plus, uh, plus WandaVision and blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of freaking Marvel stuff coming to Disney Plus soon, eventually. I Which is a smart uh, move for them since who knows when we'll be able to go to cinemas again. <laughs> good point. Uh, YouTuber Arif Zahir is the new voice of Cleveland on Family Guy. Um, so this comes after there's been this big sort of, I don't know if reckoning is the right word, but um, realization or awareness put towards the idea that a lot of black characters in anime TV shows are voiced by um, non-black or usually white voice actors. And that mm. maybe this isn't cool and we should start sort of trying to rectify this. Um, so this is one of the first examples of this. Uh, so uh, Athir Zahir, um, he's known as a Cleveland for his Cleveland impersonations. I think he does like um, streaming or video game videos and he often overdubs those gameplay streams with his impression of Cleveland. At least the bits I've seen, that's what it's been. So he is right. known for being able to do the voice and then he's coming in to play that role. How do you feel about that? I don't care. Family guy shit. <laughs> well, one of the things that was interesting, though, is the idea that this guy's coming in to do like an imperson... He's already impersonating a white guy's impersonation of a black man. And now he's mm-hmm. doing that as a job. It's like he doesn't really get to claim it as his own. He just has to do the version that pre-exists. Is that... And make it sound as much like that as possible. Is that... Well, I think that's what like a lot that? of the people that are now being cast in those roles will have to do. So it's true. Do I think that's appropriate? No, but I mean, is it progress? Is the question. (sighs) I mean, a teeny tiny step, like the smallest step you could possibly ask for, but like which we ask people of color to be so thankful for. Yeah, (laughs) it's kind of that vibe to it. In very uh, similar news, um, Carl Carlson from The Simpsons has a news voice actor which premiered in the first episode of the season's 32nd season, which happened, I think, last week. Um, he's now mm. being voiced by Alex De- Dessert, um, who I know mostly as Jake from Becca, if you remember the character of Jake from Becca. Yes. He used to sell... He was like his little stall inside the diner or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not seen him in much else since then, I don't think. I've heard he... I'm like, someone's just ripped those voice clips and put them into a YouTube video that goes for about 15 seconds, so I've heard those bits. And what I like about that version is, is it's recognisably Carl, but not like an impersonation of Carl, if that makes sense. He's got a similar cadence mm-hmm. and stuff, but you also doesn't feel like he's trying to copy exactly what the original voice actor does, who might have been Hank Azaria. I can't remember who it was. Yeah. One of the existing big voice actors. Um, which feels right. It like like feels like Carl, but also doesn't feel like it's just a copy, 100% at least, of the last mm-hmm. one. Anyway, I don't know if you've seen that or not. No, I haven't seen that, but that sounds at least a little bit more on track than just an impersonation of a black person that's now played by a black person. Mm-hmm. Some renewal news. Doom Patrol has been renewed for a third season on HBO Max. You were talking about this recently as a show you've sort of caught up on or seen little bits and pieces of or wanted to watch. No, perhaps? no, I 
all I saw, because I kept it kept coming up, and I was like, I'll watch the trailer because the posters and stuff looked so cheap and terrible. Mm. And then I watched the trailer, and I was like, oh, it doesn't look that bad. And I saw, I think, the season two trailer, and I was like, oh, that actually looks a whole lot better. And then I was reading reviews and stuff, and it, it piqued my interest. It did, yeah. Well, it's coming back for a third season, so we have time to catch up, which is good. Showtime has renewed Billions for a sixth season. HBO ne- uh, Max has renewed Ridley Scott's Raised by Wolves for a second season. How, how Have you heard about this show? I mean, I've got Binge, which is the kind of Foxtel offshoot in Australia, so we get all like the HBO stuff on that. Um I just feel a bit exhausted by these really cerebral sci-fi shows at the moment and I just don't have space for it in my brain. I've got enough to deal with, thank you, universe, that I just can't be fucked. Maybe in the We're future I'd be We're living through a dystopian nightmare at the moment in the <laughs> real world. <laughs> Devs was enough. Westworld was a horror show in a trash can of poo. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've, I've reached my limit with those. Maybe later I'll, I'll check it out. I think what you call a horror show inside a train wreck inside a dumpster fire now is the first presidential debate, I believe, is just the term that uses to cover all of that. I refuse um, to acknowledge that that existed, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, I, I have heard about this show. I heard it's like high sci-fi kind of out there. So I just want to read the synopsis I found um, by Sam Basanti at the AV Club because I think it sums up really well. Really well. For those who aren't among... Uh, the apparently steadily growing audience raised by wolves is about a pair of androids, mother and father, I think that's the characters' names, who are trying to raise human children on a messed up future planet while the grown-up humans argue about their various religious factions. Yeah, that does sound like a lot to be dealing with if you don't have a lot of brain space left over. For stuff you like you that, couldn't uh, hear it, but I did yawn while you read the description, so that might be an <laughs> indication of how invested I am in it. <laughs> I'll make sure I don't edit that out of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I tried Cobra, to hide it. Cobra Kai is getting a fourth mm. season at Netflix. So this is the, a show that originally started as a YouTube Red series when YouTube Red mm-hmm. was still a thing. Um, then moved over to, to Netflix for season three, I think, and mm-hmm. is obviously doing well and popular enough that it's getting a season four. This is the sequel TV online YouTube series thing to the original Karate Kid. I haven't yeah. seen a frame of this yet. I've kind of been avoiding it because it sounded like the worst idea ever. But now that it's got four seasons and people seem to genuinely love it, I think we need to be reviewing this show. I think well, we need to at least I, give season one a go. I heard about it a long time ago because a guy I worked with, um, he used to be really in, into martial arts and he was a stuntman for a long time and did a bunch of kung fu films. In fact, he's got a really oh, fucked cool. up pinky because Jackie Chan broke it and now it's fucked. So that was quite fun. Anyway, he recommended... Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Tell that story. I was watching well, Rush the did. other day. I want to hear all <laughs> of that. That's it. That's it. Jackie Chan fucked up Yeah, he was, um, he was working on a film with Jackie Chan and then during like the rehearsal slash training, um, Jackie Chan was running through the moves with him and Jackie Chan kicked his hand and his hand was in the wrong position and so his f- little finger just went whoop, uh, full right angle. Uh, it's never been the same since. <laughs> one so, question, uh, one comment. Any idea mm-hmm. what the film was? No, no. It was. Okay. It was a. I know it was a uh, Chinese-made film. Okay. Um. So it was an English language. That's all I know. The comment 
that I love though is that story has been very specifically manicured to to make sure that he points out that it was his hand that was in the wrong place, not Jackie yeah. Chan fucking up. <laughs> Which no. probably right. Yeah, probably right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, this man managed not to kill himself out of like 50 billion films of him throwing himself off buildings. So, yeah, something tells yeah. me that he knows what he's doing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this is the guy that recommended Cobra Kai to me quite a while ago, probably a couple of years ago now. And then just mm. a few weeks ago, Andrew and I decided to watch Cobra Kai. Um, because her friends had been watching it. So, we're like, okay, we'll give it a go. We watched the Mm. first episode and that's as far as we went. (laughs) Because, like, the the protagonist in the first episode is the worst type of white man, entitled but with no discernible talent, um, very racist, misogynistic, it's just like the most unlikable dude you could ever imagine is the protagonist. And we were like, is, I don't need to watch any more of his story. I don't care if he grows. I don't care anymore. Is the is the protagonist like a kid that's learning, like going to a, one of these dojos? Or no, is it the so guy in the original the Karate Kid, do you remember yeah. that? Yes. So the kid that um, Ralph Macchio fights in the final. Yeah. And defeats. Yep. So that yep. kid, as a forty-year-old man, played by the same guy. Right. It's him. So we know he was the villain in that movie. Yes. So it seems purposeful that he would be a piece of shit to begin with. No, it absolutely is purposeful. But I don't need to okay. watch stories about white terrible men who have not learned any lessons in thirty years. No. I'm not interested in that story. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fuck I will off, mate. Cross that off the list. We won't be reviewing it for the podcast. Uh, I mean, we can, and, and I'll just be ranting and raving through it. But that that can be some fun. Okay, I'll, I will uncross it off. I can't do that. I will rewrite it on the list. Uh, and also, HBO Max has renewed Harley Quinn for a third season. Woo-hoo! That's pretty exciting because it was yep. not. A sure thing, especially because so DC far my Universe. favorite show of 2020. So even mm-hmm. though it came out in 2019, but we only got it now. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I, was, I but loved now it. I feel like we can watch season two whenever. We just we got between now and season three coming out to watch season two. It's like we're going to get to that for sure now because I want to watch season yep. three. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a sure thing for a number of reasons. A just who knows with this sort of stuff. But DC Universe, which was the channel that was streaming this show, has ceased to exist. Um, it's now all their shows have been moved over to HBO Max. So who knows what's going to happen in that transition. So very cool to hear that's been renewed. Um, looking forward to that in a big way. Yeah. Some cancellations, sad news now. Keeping Up With The Kardashians is set to end in 2021 after 20 seasons. Damascus, you're the resident oh. uh, reality TV show. Thank you. Um, uh, expert, what's the deal? Big moment. Big moment in reality TV history. Keeping up with the Kardashians is over. Um, So I haven't been a regular watcher of this show for a while just simply because, I mean, it's always been pretty highly produced, but the last few seasons are so produced that I find a little bit of the hijinks a bit uh, contrived. Um, However, like Khloe Kardashian is without a doubt, the absolute star of that show. Hilarious, like charismatic. And I can't imagine, I wish she could have her own reality show or her own offshoot. She's had a couple of goes here and there 
but I think with ill-fitting projects. So that's a shame that mm-hmm. I'm she's going to be lost from our TV screens in that capacity. Um, I believe, and this is purely conjecture and rumour and all that stuff, but mostly because uh, Courtney Kardashian doesn't want to do it anymore because she's um, hippie and doesn't realise that all of her income is going to be coming from this show for the foreseeable future. Um, I think, I mean, I know a lot of people hate the Kardashians and that's not invalid. I love their show, like for all their diet bullshit, it's terrible. They did some pretty interesting stuff around mental illness, um, just simply seeing a healthy, somewhat healthy family dynamic play out consistently on TV, I thought was also a positive thing. Um, yeah, I used to love the Kardashians. It's it's sad that they're over. Could they have had a few more seasons? Probably, particularly since uh, Kylie is so big now. Um, but yeah, they're they're they done and 20. dusted. Yeah, like they got twenty seasons. It's a pretty good run. It's probably look. You know, I'm not fair they crying may like it's fucking Firefly. <laughs> it's <laughs> <laughs> but it is reality TV, and that kind of has its own rules in terms of longevity. Um, but yeah, I think like that it'll certainly go down in history as one of the defining reality shows of our time um, or of the genre in general. So props to what they did for reality TV, um, but I don't begrudge anyone who uh, thinks they should all just go away. I mean, I've just been ignoring them for years. It didn't make a difference. I had no idea it was still going until I told, was told it was cancelled. Um <laughs> Any idea what the longest reality running reality TV show would be? I'm gonna guess it's it would, Cops or something. It would. Oh well, I don't count that as reality TV. But I would say, like, sure. in, when we're talking about like the kind of reality TV that we that was like blew up when we like the mm. early 2000s, I would say it's probably Survivor. It's probably the longest running. Survivor or Big Brother? Mm, It'd be one, one of, those. of those, you would think. Fair enough. Uh, CW Supergirl is to end after season six. And mm-hmm. the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance has been cancelled by Netflix after one season. This is an interesting one because I felt like it got a pretty strong response critic-wise. Like it got good reviews. A lot of people really liked mm-hmm. it. I also didn't get the feeling that it really took hold. I think it's... The thing was, it always seemed crazy as being made at all. It's such a neat... Like, I know people have nostalgia kind of for that movie, but not like Disney nostalgia. Like, it's a particular group of people that really love that film. Yeah, because I've never seen Dark Crystal before, but I watched that show. Um, Mm -hmm. And yes, I will say that I watched it very inebriated. So, um, that's a little preface there. But I will say many a time in those episodes, I sat back and said, I don't understand what's happening at all. Um, okay. it's also really, it was, re- it's really hard to connect with characters that really struggle to emote. That's also mm-hmm. an issue, I think. Uh, but obviously like the design is awesome, but I don't think it needed more than one season. I thought it was a nice little nostalgic romp, but yeah, I mean, maybe if you love Dark Crystal, you'd be really upset, but I didn't even think they were going to make a second season, so... I hope it's kind of remembered as like a miracle that it got to exist at all and we just cherish it as like a jewel, you know, um, that, yeah, that we're lucky to have, basically. Mm -hmm. 
Um, in other news, Shit's Creek Season 6 dropped early on Netflix. For those who are waiting for that, that's kind of exciting. I need to watch that at all. HBO Max's West, Ring Re- West Wing reunion excuse me, is set for October 15th, which was meant to be the night of the second presidential debate. But who knows if that's going to happen now? Seems <laughs> unlikely for some reason. So it'll just, just be out there as normal. Uh, yeah. Here's some interesting news I want to discuss with you. Mm. Cheers, as in the documentary series on Netflix, Cheer, not the Ted Danson sitcom Cheers. Cheers, Jerry Harris has been arrested and charged for production of child pornography. This comes via Mm. Shannon Miller at the AV Club, and I'll read a little excerpt here. Content warning before I read through this. This is uh, discussing sexual assault of minors. Um. Mm -hmm. So, if that's not something you want to hear about, maybe skip ahead a few minutes. Uh, According to the Chicago Tribune, Harris was charged with one count of production of child pornography after soliciting lewd videos and images of minors and soliciting sex from a 13-year-old victim during cheerleading competitions. Per the complaint, Harris contacted one boy in Snapchat in 2018 and repeatedly encouraged him to send sexually explicit videos and photographs to himself. The young teen says that he informed Harris of his age during their initial exchange. When the victim's parents discovered numerous images on his phone, the teen told them that Harris had also solicited multiple sexual encounters across multiple competitions. So, sort of like, I don't want to get into the specifics of that situation exactly. No. I more want to talk about how does this, or does this in any way change your feelings or relationship with the documentary series Cheer? Because for me, in a lot of ways, I love that. I was really engrossed by that show in more ways Mm -hmm. than I would expect. And Jerry was kind of, in a lot of ways, the heart of that for me Mm -hmm. as one of the guys you're really rooting for amongst a bunch of people who were very much like he was sort of the down and out underdog. You know, you wanted him to get his moment. He seemed Mm -hmm. like such a kind-hearted soul and all this sort of stuff Um, amongst a lot of people who were much bigger egos and ambitions and blah, blah, blah. He seemed like a genuine person that you wanted to get behind. And now that... Because it's documentary, this is not an actor playing a role. Does that change your relationship or how you view that or feel about the documentary in any way? Uh, Not the documentary as a whole. I think it certainly changes aspects of it. And like you said, he is a big part of that documentary and a lot of – he's he's the character that you root for other than the girl who – gets kicked out and has some issues. I think she's also mm-hmm. the other part of that heart. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it will affect how people view the documentary. I, it will certainly change the way that I reflect on it. Um, and it, I think it's also just an interesting exercise to realise that the face that people present isn't the whole And I think that's a really good exercise that we all need to kind of participate in more regularly, that people cannot just be one thing or symbolize Mm. one thing to you. And so if new information comes to light, you need to be able to absorb that as well as your memories or your association with that person and take that on board and reflect on that. Because, you know, as we come to learn time and time again, Predators don't look 
the way that we have all been taught that they look. They mm-hmm. don't present themselves in the way that we have been told to look out for. Um, it's, a, it's a lot more in it than that. Um, there's, they're, yeah, they're not the scary guy in the alley. They're the, the charismatic one in the room that everyone loves um, who can convince people to do things that they otherwise wouldn't do or pressure them into doing things that they wouldn't do. And that's just the reality that we now have to come to terms with time and time again. Um, You know, those who haven't experienced sexual assault probably coming to terms with that for the first time. Those of us that have, you know, it is somewhat validating me like, yes, like this, this is actually the persona of someone who can take advantage of people. Yeah, I think all of that is 100% true. It's I think the thing I'm trying to figure out is does this invalidate or any of the side of him that gets presented in the documentary because I think the the way I I think it makes sense is like you've looked at this person from this specific angle, right? In terms mm-hmm. of that this person's relationship to this sport and the people involved in that sport. And his relationship to those people that he's working with in that team. Is any of that less true because of this awful things he does, right? And I don't think it isn't. I think it's more of it shows you how much of a documentary is only ever showing you this much of a person, yeah. right? It's like it's always in service of a particular story and cannot represent a human being as a whole. Um it makes me think of things like um, The King of Kong, which is one of my favorite documentary series ever. And like the way that Steve Wiebe and Billy, whose name I can't remember all of a sudden, which is probably fair for him, um, uh, <laughs> presented in that movie as like heroes and villains. And like how maybe even that's true, but what does Billy do behind the scenes that is, you know, good for the community, even if he is manipulating scores and blah, 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 blah. It's like everything is always just a fraction of reality that to tell this specific story. It's it's never the whole. And attaching yourself to someone's image in a, even a documentary is... Well, um, no, I mean, like, I think you make a mistake if... Well, the thing is within like a film, they only exist within the pages and the, mm-hmm. the, the frames that they are seen. And I think it's a dire mistake to view those within a documentary in the same light. Like there is, they, the thing is like within a documentary, yeah. you can't show everything, nor can a documentary maker know everything. Um, that's not how like a, a structured piece works at all. You can't have everyone's story fully told in a film it's 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 simply not possible to do um so i think yeah an awareness around what a documentary film is and i think people see the word documentary and assume it's real life full stop Mm -hmm. it's a true story full stop and it's it's a story. I think first first and foremost, that's what it is. And stories have rules that they have to um, align with. Otherwise, it's not a satisfying narrative for people to watch. And that's how people need to view those things. All right. Follow-up question. Does the, the Netflix documentary, which I would assume is just going to continue playing, 
does it have a responsibility to put this information about this person because he is presented in that story, that documentary, mm-hmm. in such a sympathetic light? Um, and I think at least some of these, if not all of these things, happened at pre-release, if not pre-filming, or possibly even during filming of that documentary. Do does Netflix have a responsibility to put this information somewhere in the documentary, like as a beforehand thing that this person has been charged, uh, particularly if they, he's found guilty of these things? Um, is that important in any way to? Or a responsible thing that Netflix have to do for its viewers. Um, hmm. Because then that opens up a whole bunch of different questions about many films that are out there now um, that 100%. either star or made by people who have done similar things. Um, See, I would argue that at least in a like purely fictional film. While at least an actor is playing a character, mm. that character is was never a real person and never mm. presented as being a real person, right? Yeah. Whereas in a documentary, as you said, there is that blurry line where it's easy to think that it does portray the truth and reality in whole. Mm. That That's the difference there. There's probably documentaries where those, yeah, there would be comparisons, but I can't name off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... They have a requirement to do they have a responsibility to yeah do that I don't I'm know not, not, I, I don't know the answer to it yeah I really don't I mean I think it would maybe be beneficial for the victims um, mm-hmm. so that they don't feel like this person that did something terrible to them is out there getting praise for being an underdog and a hero being celebrated um, yeah. for those that aren't aware of what has happened. I think that would be, you know, beneficial and, you know, a sliver of some form of justice in a way, mm. which I think is important. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know, nor do I feel qualified to <laughs> really make a judgment on it. Let's move on. Uh, the 2020 Emmy Awards have been and gone. The winners have been announced. We discussed the nominees a little bit when Paul Mitzi was on the last off-topic, uh, maybe it was a couple of off-topic hot topics back. Um, have you seen the winners list? I haven't. I've totally ignored it. Excellent. Do you want me to go through some of the key categories? Yes, please. Winner of Outstanding Drama Series, Succession. Any surprises there? Oh, my God. I just started watching Succession and I finished season one the other day. It's now, so fucking good. It's so <laughs> we can good. That. Whenever you're ready, I'm 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 ready for... right now. <laughs> okay, it's... we'll put because you know when like people talk about how good something is, I was like, yeah, I'm sure it's good, and I did think it would be good, <laughs> but then I watched it, and it's great. It's so <laughs> great. Like I, it's fucking good, mate. It's yeah. Makes the sense reason I haven't started is because I assumed we were going to review it one day because it's got well, so much Well, that's why I hadn't we'll started it either, but then Angela really wanted to watch it. I was like, okay, let's do it. And we would stay up until like 2 a.m. And we're like, okay, we need to go to bed now because it's getting ridiculous. And But we didn't want to leave it because we just want to keep watching, keep watching. And can I say, the finale is like some of the imagery, and it's not graphic or anything, but is the most horrific stuff I've ever experienced in my life. But in a way that, like, you want to keep watching. Like, it's, 
Oh, God. It really pulls at you, mate. It's so Save good. Save some of this for the review, Damask. Save for I'm the review. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, good news. It won an Emmy for Best Original Drama. Uh, what was well that? Done. Season th- two or season three? Um, I'll go through this list. It stopped me. If anything in particular you want to talk about here. Supporting actress mm-hmm. in a drama series, Julia Garner in Ozark. Supporting actor in a drama series, Billy Cruppard in The Morning Show, which The Morning Show we didn't think was... You know, well, we haven't. I haven't watched it, but who's talking about it? No one's talking about it. Who cares? Move on. Um, uh, let's see. Lead actress in a drama series, Zendaya for Euphoria. Now, have you watched Euphoria? I have watched Euphoria, and it's great. And I was so happy she won. Um, the only other lesbian I know sent me a message immediately. She's like, "Have you heard the news? Zendaya's won." And I was like, "There is a god." Uh, yeah, no, well deserved. She's incredible in that show. That show is. Skins 2.0, like, so the first yeah. series of Skins, like the first three seasons were amazing. Don't get me wrong. I loved the second gen with Naomi and Emily. We'll love them forever. But that first season of Skins was really fucking good. Euphoria is like that, but even better um, with a more kind of not realistic, um, but it's probably got... Mm, how am I going to do this? It's a bit more peak TV, I guess, than Skins sure, sure, was sure, sure. back in the day. A little less yeah. on the soapy side, uh, the teen soapy side. And it's more like it's a show about teens, but exists like in parallel with all the other peak TV stuff going on. Um, so it's one of those shows because it's about teens, I didn't think would be taken that seriously, particularly not mm-hmm. in terms of awards. I think like critics obviously really love it, but not in terms of awards so to hear that she had won that was incredible and well deserved really well deserved another show we'll get to reviewing at some stage lead actor in a drama series jeremy strong for succession reality competition program winner rupaul's drag race Mm -hmm. um you watch plenty of reality tv i know you're a big fan of rupaul is it still deserving of that sort of award um, I think so. I mean, I don't actually know who the other nominees were. I doubt you've got... I can got... tell you. Yes, uh, please. The Masked Singer nailed it, Top Chef and The Voice. Yeah, I think in terms of those, absolutely. I mean, okay. I don't think that that genre is taken super seriously. And I think if people who really loved reality TV were truly voting on it, I'm not sure that RuPaul's now would win. I think mm-hmm. there's better reality shows out there. Um, it's still good, sure. but you know, I Do you would. Think it's winning I would, mostly on reputation. I think because, so, and that's okay. not invalid. But yeah, yeah. Um, when we're talking about it, it really should be titled competition reality shows. Because there's so many... That was reality competition program. That's what I said. Oh, okay. So it's not reality as a genre, which I think it should be. Gotcha. Well, that that may exist. I haven't got down all this list yet. Outstanding limited series, Watchmen was the winner. Uh, Perfectly happy with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see. Actor in a limited series, Mark Ruffalo for I Know This Much Is True, uh, which he played two characters in that, two brothers, I believe. So not too surprised you got a a nod for that I've been meaning to watch that, but I just can't right now, Brod, you know? I just can't. (laughs) There's a lot of that. Actress in a limited series, Regina King for Watchmen. Excellent. Um, Outstanding comedy series. Now, here's where the news starts. 
Shits Creek won that one. Supporting actress mm-hmm. in a comedy series, Annie Murphy for Shits Creek. Supporting yes. actor in a comedy yes, series. Yes, I was so excited about that one. Because <laughs> oh, I didn't particularly think she for Annie Murphy. Yeah, because I didn't think she would get the recognition, but she mm. is my favorite part of that show. Like, it's so I think understated what she does and what she brings to that show. So it was really lovely to say. Uh, supporting actor in a comedy series, Dan Levy in Shits mm-hmm. Creek, directing for a comedy series, uh, went to Andrew Cividino and Dan Levy for Shits Creek Happy Ending. I'm assuming that's the last episode. Uh, writing for a comedy series, Dan Levy of uh, Shits Creek, Creek Happy Ending. Lead actor in a comedy series, Eugene Levy, Shits Creek. Lead actress in a comedy series, Catherine O'Hara, Shits Creek. Uh, yeah, they cleaned the fuck up. And the first comedy series ever, I believe, to clean up all four acting Category awards, mm. which is pretty cool, and for a comedy series. Which Can is I ask cool. um, if you've got it there in front of you? Who else was mm. up for the directing part of a comedy series? Certainly, directing for a comedy series: uh, James Burrows for Will and Grace. We love Lucy. Uh, Gail, mm. we love Lucy. That's interesting. I've always thought um, Deborah Messing could play Lucille. Ball. Uh, I wonder what that episode was. I want to see that now. Gail Mancuso for Modern Family Finale Part Two. Daniel Palladino, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Mar- Marvelous Radio, which was a good episode. I liked that episode a lot. Uh, Matt Shankman, The Great, which is, I believe, the last episode of The Great, mm. maybe the first episode of The Great. Uh, Amy Sherman Palladino for The Mar- Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, It's Comedy or Cabbage, which was also an excellent episode of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And Rami mm-hmm. Youssef for Rami uh, Maya Khalifa. Dot mov. I definitely mispronounced that. Were there anything okay. there you were looking for? Um, no. So just in terms of directing, I want to know who they were up against. I'm not sure in terms of direction mm-hmm. if Shit's Creek is doing anything particularly special. Now, I can't remember the exact direction of that episode, um, whereas I can really remember the direction in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel or The Great mm-hmm. and things like that, which I think were really, really well done. So I think maybe sure. that if I was to contest any of them, that would be the only one. Cool. And I think that is the main categories there. Um, there was a little bit of extra news, though, surrounding the Emmys. Uh, Quibi won an Emmy now, the Emmy-winning Quibi. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Jasmine Cephas-Jones winning Best Actor and Actress in a short-form comedy or drama series, respectively, for their work on hashtag Free Ray Shaw. Um, that was a Creative Arts Emmy, but it won that. So there you go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Damask, yes. what have you been watching? Well, I've already mentioned that I've been watching Succession, which I mm-hmm. obviously loved. Um, I haven't been watching a whole lot, but Real Housewives of Potomac is back, my friends. And this Ooh. is one of the newer... Is this a r- 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 reality, reality check? Reality check. <laughs> Wonderful. It's been a I while. I guess it is. Um, <laughs> so Real Housewives of Potomac is one of the newer franchises. It's only a... I think it's on its fifth season, which is very new you in are. terms of Housewives. <laughs> um, Just a baby. But because like many of them have been going for like 12 years, like New York, I think is on its 11th season. Like a lot of them are kind of seen as like pillars within the mm-hmm. franchises, like my favorites. I love Atlanta and New York are my top two. Potomac, it's kind of starting to bump those two off the top it is so good so it's one of the few it's only so there's only two casts with um predominantly people of color so there's atlanta which i love and now potomac and same thing with atlanta potomac has a group of very smart very genuinely funny you're not only laughing at them but laughing with them that's the cast. So they're, they're very dynamic to watch and the drama they bring is fabulous. This season we have a full out brawl, which breaks out. It broke out in the last episode that aired, which was, I love that. I love it when it just gets taken to the next level. Um, There's genuine friendships, which I think a lot of the older franchises don't have anymore. So you might've started off with like, you know, a, a tenuous group of friends, but then like people get replaced, people leave, blah, 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 whatever. And then you just get this random group of white, rich white women who don't really have any connection to one another and have, because they're on a show where they have to pretend to be friends, uh, holding each other to extreme friendship standards, being like, if you're my friend, you never would have done this. What they're not saying is, well, you're not my friend. I don't know you. I'd only see you during filming, which makes it less interesting. But when there's genuine like friendships and connections there, it makes for like, yeah, much more interesting dynamics. And when tension builds, it's a genuine tension. It's not a contrived type of thing. This show really, really does it. So 
If you don't want to dive into 10 plus seasons of Real Housewives, jump onto Real Housewives of Potomac. You can skip, you can certainly skip the first season. Jump in season two. That only gives you four seasons to watch. If you're in Melbourne and on serious lockdown, you've got plenty of time. And can I say, it's a great way to spend your days of doing nothing. <laughs> All right. Just a, just a question, just in generally on reality television, show, mm-hmm. television of this size, this kind of like the Housewives series in particular. Yes. How many, how, how much variation is there in like what, you said they bring the drama of what sort of drama can really exist in a show like this. And I, I say this understanding that like every year if you watch The Block or something like that, it's the same drama. Mm-hmm. It's like people want more space and people – but that's also why I don't really watch more than a couple of seasons of a show like that. And then I'm like, oh, mm. this cast sucks. I'm out. I'm not watching anymore. What – like surely it's just a repeat of the same sort of like drama and tropes well, and stuff over and over again. Well, you certainly have tropes within the, the shows. So mm. you have the trope of, you know, you'll have your – Season one of any franchise, you'll have one player that really stands out as kind of the funny one that the audience really connects with. Fast forward two seasons, they're an absolute monster because they know how powerful they are with the fans and they absolutely just fucking lose it. That happened in Real Housewives of New York and I know a lot of people are going to come at me for this, but Bethany's a fucking monster and like totally unrelatable and she hasn't been funny since season three. Um, you've got oh, Nini. Hot takes. Hot takes. Uh, thank you. You've got Nini <laughs> in Atlanta. Absolutely lost her fucking mind. Is still entertaining, but is a total monster. You have, uh, I mean, Vicky Gumbelson has always been terrible in the OC. Um, with oh Dallas, you've got Leanne. She started off really relatable and funny and kind of queer friendly just got fired for being super fucking racist <laughs> um absolute so there's power like, corrupts absolutely yeah. it's a tale as old as time yeah you've got tropes like that and then you've got other tropes like you've got a cheating husband who is exposed and then you've got the other women who know about it but the wife doesn't and there's gossip 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 the wife is like i don't believe you and then obviously in the reunion it's revealed that it's all true and she's now getting a divorce um, you've got, why didn't you become, why didn't you come to my perfume launch? How dare you? Um, That's or a in, why did inter- you come yeah. to my perfume launch? Pretty That's much. Specific. Well, you can interchange it. perfume <laughs> with any kind of product. My sure. favorite recently was in Atlanta in which, uh, one of the housewives was launching some kind of hair product and Kenya Moore, who's one of my favorite housewives of all time. She's a fucking bitch decided to interrupt that launch with a brass band and then handed Whoa. out her own products while it, while that's that was good. going on. That's beautiful. Um, so there is like repetition, but the, the, the dynamics in each franchise are very, very different. So like each franchise is run and produced by a different production house. So they're edited very differently. They're filmed very differently. Um, they're run by totally different groups of people. So they do have their, they certainly have their own flavor. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, what else have you been watching? Uh, look, not a, not a lot, mate. I started rewatching Always Sunny because that's just my, another one of my comfort foods. And sure. I'm, I'm still watching Taskmaster. I'm just, slowly chipping away at that because that is so much fun to watch during lockdown 
it just it feeds my soul makes me giggle that's that's all I need but I haven't been able to do a whole lot I've just finished a huge assignment and mm-hmm. also I just I can't right now bro I look on Twitter the world's on fire I need a hug you know what have you been watching? I just realized, hold on a second. I just realized I kept this because I didn't, it wasn't on my normal news site. I saw this on Twitter and didn't mention it here. Uh, mm. Taskmaster is returning very, very soon to our screens. I think maybe the 15th of October or something like that. Yes, it was just announced recently that Taskmaster, which is moving to Channel 4, um, I don't, I think it was originally BBC and then went to another thing. It had an, a male's name. I can't remember which channel it was. Anyway, go to channel four. It's re- coming back to screens with season 10 on Thursday, the 15th of October. God knows how and when we'll get it in Australia, but that is coming, which is very exciting. And it includes uh, some very cool cast members, including uh, Catherine Parkinson from the IT crowd, as uh, oh, Jen from the IT crowd. Fucking nice. so cool. So, so cool. Um, also... Another news story I forgot about. I won't go into details, but Natasha Leon and Alia Shawkat are developing developing an Amazon series called Desert People. Um, yeah, I love so it's both a, those it's a people, series. so I'm interested. <laughs> so it's a series that follows a family of Iraqi immigrants who run a gentleman's club in Palm Springs. Shawkat will star as the parent's adult daughter in LA who is coming to terms with her sexuality and identity as a first-generation American. That sounds like a show that's going to be up our alley. Question. Yes. How do we feel about two white women telling the story of Iraqi immigrants? Are we sure they are both? Because I'm pretty sure Alia Shawkat is mixed race. Uh, She has two brothers. Her father is of Arab descent from Iraq. Her mother is Norwegian, Irish, and Italian descent. Yes. I actually looked up the other day. That makes me feel much better. (laughs) Thank God. Because... Weirdly enough, that came up because there was a conversation about this. Uh, Steph and I were having, we were watching, I think we're sort of into second season of Search Party. And mm-hmm. S- Steph had a question about, you know, is Ali Shawkat a person of color? And then we were like, oh, yeah, she's got, um, yeah, uh, Middle cool. Eastern heritage. Okay. There you that go. Makes feel Sorry. better. Yes. Um, that, no, happy I, to hear I, it. Happy to hear it. I would have been surprised if that wasn't addressed or if that that, that would happen that yeah. casting they would be headlining if show the, if that wasn't a thing if she wasn't my assumption then would be that their writing room is uh quite diverse but mm. still it's not great when you've got white people running the show and then using people of color to tell the story that you've sold um but yeah no that makes me much much more comfortable <laughs> with that story Excellent. cool right, i'm in i'm in totally in uh, was there anything else you've been watching? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my God. I can't believe I forgot this earlier. Um, so, season two, half of season two of Pen15 came out. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, Brad. So, I loved season one and I've rewatched it at least three times. Like, it is my absolute pick-me-up. It's the best show I watched last year. And if you haven't watched Pen15, please Please, please watch it. It's amazing. Anyway, I was excited because I thought season two was coming out. And then you told me, oh, it's only the first half. I was like, fucking hell, I'm so sick of half seasons. They're unfinished, they're shit. And then I, I think watched it. it's only because it. of COVID-19 though. That's the only reason it's like that. Similarly, I found out the other day that Good Girls season three or four, whatever just came out, it ends in a really awkward spot because they couldn't finish production because of COVID-19. Anyway. 
Yes, but even but even saying that, no matter what the reasons, you get half a season, it always feels unfinished and incomplete sure. and all that stuff. Yeah. So I had that expectation coming into Pen15 Season 2 Part 1. Um, this is a full season, beginning, oh. middle, end. It is just as funny as the first, if not funnier, it goes deeper into the characters' lives and their friendship. It is so good and I am so happy that they have been able to maintain that level of quality even just in this part one. Um, if it wasn't planned to have a part one, I'd be very surprised because mm-hmm. it is such a whole story and so beautifully told. Um, it's really, I, I cannot emphasize this enough Everyone needs to watch Pen15. It is the best comedy out there at the moment. It's incredible. Since Lee's basically just turned to recorded meetings, I would you be interested, because comedy is one of those weird things. We do it every now and again, but it's always a bit contentious. Would you be interested in reviewing Pen15 Season 1 and Season 2 Part 1? A hundred percent, yes. Okay. I, I will defend list. that to the day I die. And if you don't like it, our friendship will be over. I mean, the one okay. episode I've seen about AOL chat, was like, uh, yeah. yeah. How could you not? And I think like, I'm not sure if if you're a 15-year-old now, you'll watch it and really love it. No. Um, I saw this really charming interview with one of the... So, it's the premise is it's two girls who start middle school in the early 2000s, which mm. is when we started middle school. Exactly. Um, and so, they're like these women who are playing that age, but they're 30-year-olds, they're our age. And everyone around them, though, is played by people that are actually 13. And I saw a very charming interview with one of the boys in the show and he was asked, like, oh, like, what do you think of, like, how teenagers used to live back then? And he's like, oh, I mean, a lot of the stuff's really similar in terms of, like, what you go through and stuff socially. And he was just like, but I don't know what you guys did all day, like – you don't have YouTube um, or like all you had to play was like N64. Like I legitimately, you don't have like TikTok or anything. I legitimately don't know what you guys did all day. To which I read that and went, what did we do all day? <laughs> no idea. We but sat I thought that was on very MSN cute. waiting for our friends to come on. <laughs> yeah, just finding so the perfect song lyric to put into our name. Yeah, exactly. Changing out like our top eight on MySpace. On MySpace, yeah, absolutely. That's what we were doing. <laughs> I thought that was very cute and also like, yeah, no, fair enough. It's a whole other world. I I imagine it would be similar the way that we can enjoy um, Freaks and Geeks. Happy Days? We- oh. <laughs> yeah, or well, Happy Days. But like Freaks and Geeks, uh, I'm not saying it's even necessarily totally that similar, but it, mm. I'm sure people of the that age of who lived through that get a huge nostalgia bomb from it, but mm. it is still, you know similar in terms of like the social situations and stuff and so of course we enjoyed that like it's, if it's well told it doesn't really matter what era it's said geez yeah. do you ever turn around and watch like a period film and go this is unrelatable i just cannot relate <laughs> with these people yeah all the time I'm they've like, only got lamp light how can i possibly fit in this person's shoes and understand how they're living homosexuality uh, was illegal gross yeah well Every lesbian film ever made is set before electricity was invented, right? Oh, they love a bodice, don't they? <laughs> they do. Can't get enough yeah. of them. Um, anything else? Oh, I've got something to bring up. 
Yes. Now, I haven't watched the 100 since maybe its first season, but I think it was like its third season or something. Um, Its main character finally had uh, a little bit of queer sex with her love interest. Finally, it happened. But in classic queerdom, um, they killed her love interest immediately after they consummated their relationship, which then started the whole trend of like, you know, kill your gays type stuff. Um, (laughs) Like people started getting really, really angry about it because I think in that particular, even in that month, like, I think it was like three or four lesbian characters or queer female characters were killed and people were really up in arms about it. Recently, I believe that show finished and I've only read this just on Twitter because I haven't watched the show and I can't be fucked because after that happened, I was like, well, I'm not investing any more time in this bullshit. The show ended, but in the ending, you see that lesbian character who has died and I believe like she comes back to life or it's some sort of dream or like maybe the main character dies, whatever it is, this lesbian who has died previously comes back and you see her in the finale. And there's been this kind of really contentious argument going on online, whether it was like um, emotional manipulation Mm -hmm. or whether it was like a kind of we're sorry, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Hold on. The thing is, Emotional manipulation is a really hard thing to to criticize any show on because every show is manipulating your emotions. That's what it is doing, right? Anytime that I understand that you feel that way about a fandom feels that way or a community feels that way, and that's not necessarily wrong. Mm. But the show is meant to make you is play with your emotions. Like that's its job. If that's what. It's but there's different there's doing. different levels though. So you have. Um, justified, I think, emotional manipulation. And then you have kind of really shallow fan service, oh, this will make them happy emotional manipulation, which is something that like Ryan Murphy used to do all the time in Glee, which I did not have fucking appreciate at all. Um, and I think this is kind of what the 100 was doing as well. It was kind of placating. It was like, oh, yeah, like they are OTP or whatever the fuck that – bullshit is but without the work i mean they've had countless seasons in between with no real reckoning of what that moment mm-hmm. was or what it did to fans but to just stick it on the end i think is where people were really angry i can definitely imagine this being a band-aid fix to try and undo this because it was so controversial at which point mm. well shame on you for doing the first place We'll see what happens. The really the question of whether it's emotional manipulation, because like a teaser at the end of something that a character has returned, I, I don't know. That's that's a tale as old as time, I think. But the it depends on the quality of the story. Do they use this in an effective way in the future, or is it just like, oh my god, you're back, hand wave and move on? If there's an if they I don't know the show well enough to know this. If they use it well enough and it was planned in advance, then I don't. That's we can't know if it's that sort of manipulation until. After mm. we see it play out, I guess, but I understand the concern. That's also what I would call if the but original. But it's, the, it's kill- the end of the show, though. Oh, it's a, the show is over. I believe in, so. Yeah. Oh, there's no future seasons. Oh, in that I case, think it's that's bullshit. What's happening, I take yeah. it back. That's bu- that's bullshit. No, that is disgusting. And yeah, that is <laughs> that, okay. Okay, I now get it in context. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I believe that's I was right. Because my initially I was going to say, you know, kill your gays, 
the prime example of that was always Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The oh, if she you- had come back now and there was more show, I'd probably jump in again and be like, sure. I'd rewatch it again from the start and go on the journey. It's like, oh, eventually she comes back or whatever. But this is like the last episode forever. Yeah, yeah, that sucks. Because I was going to say, if that if that was the version where they're bringing it back and the show continues, that's what you'd call a Star Trek Discovery. Because they were accused of that in season one. They managed to bring back that character in season two because, you know, that was a bad move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. I think that's coming soon too, Star Trek Discovery season three. Now, any people will probably that? write in and be like, you clearly haven't watched the show. You don't get any of the context, to which I'll say absolutely true. I've just gotten all my information off Twitter. So, fair call. Fair call. But we have the podcast, so shut up. Exactly. You. So, shut up. <laughs> get your own podcast. Um, do a podcast that reviews does. hunting seasons episodes. Yeah. Um, all right. I've been watching a couple of things, but not heaps. Number mm-hmm. one, I finally got around to watching Dr. Sleep. This is the... Film oh, yes. adaptation of Stephen King's book, The Shining, and also a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's adaptation of the Stephen King book, The Shining, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, it is both adaptation of that book and a specific sequel to the, to the Stanley Kubrick film, The Shining, which is contentious because Stephen King does not like that film because he doesn't think it it's uh, true to the novel. And I love that Stanley Kubrick film and have never read the book. Anyway, mm-hmm. point being... I really liked it. It relies heavily, heavily on your nostalgia and your affection for Steve uh, for Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Like the particularly in the last section half an hour of this movie, get ready to be hit over the head often effectively sometimes a l- bit on the nose with a reminder that this is a sequel to that film. Um, but mm. overall, thought it was really effective. It's got the right tone. It expands the world in a meaningful way. Even Stephen King said that this film made him like the Stanley Kubrick film more. Um, I thought it was really, really great. Really fun, nice and tense. I think Ewan McGregor's really great in it. Um, yeah, has a lot of fun with that world. But yeah, definitely just... Rely- it goes for two and a half hours as well, which I didn't know when I started the movie. And I wish I'd known. And the director's <laughs> edition, which I may watch one day, goes for nearly three. So, you know, be prepared for that. Good Lord. Well, as someone who doesn't like Kubrick's The Shining, I don't think I'll oh. get much out of it then. Maybe. I think the film is like good at being a continuation of that story and also good at being its own thing where if you haven't, so you might appreciate it for a different reason than someone who is coming for the Kubrick shining of it all. I think this, the film on its own stands up. Mm. And then if you've watched The Simpsons enough, you've seen all this imagery be parodied before and are familiar with it enough to enjoy, oh, yeah, that's that, a recreation of that scene of yeah. Danny riding down the corridor and the twins. Well, and blah, I think blah, I blah. never really liked The Shining because I'd seen so many parodies of it a million times before. I was like, this is less effective, I think. A friend of mine said the same thing. He's never seen it and is worried about going to it, watching it now because it's been parodied to the point of him knowing the beats. But I think that's entirely true. Um, mm. But anyway, yeah, Dr. Sleep, it's on Netflix. Check it out. 
High Score. It's a Netflix documentary produced by the now defunct, very sadly, Great Big Story. A friend of mine uh, was a big part of Great Big Story and they've unfortunately had to close their doors recently. This is a documentary series just basically, I wouldn't say it's telling the entire history of like video games, but taking notable mm. chunks and having discussions about it. I've only watched the first couple of episodes. Uh, first being sort of the progress of video games from the arcades into the home consoles with the original Ataris and then the sort of video game crash, which is often talked about as being caused by that notoriously terrible E.T. game. (laughs) Um, And then the second sort of rise of video games with Nintendo coming to the market Mm. with the Nintendo Entertainment System, the Famicom and Super Mario Brothers. Um, I've actually watched all of that series. Oh, you've watched all of it? And can I say, I liked it from the beginning, but I liked it more as you went along. Sure, okay. Because I had heard kind of like... All the stories of like the rise of and then mm-hmm. obviously what happened with Atari and E.T. So I'd heard all those stories before. And then when they go to the next stage, I was like, oh, well, I actually haven't learned this much about that part of the history of video games. And I found that part really fascinating. The I'm fast. I definitely want to see more. I've only watched the first two episodes so far. Um I, I like the great big story formula for this. It's very much, if you've seen any of their stuff on YouTube or on Facebook, on social media and stuff like that, they're usually like maybe five minutes sort of like little like human interest stories basically. And it's sort of those put together into a more succinct sort of overall episode. Um, the stories I've really enjoyed the most, I've heard or understood most of them at this point. But the favorite thing they did in episode two was they started looking at the people who used to run the Nintendo-like hotline you could call up if you got stuck in a video game, mm, Yeah, which just was a trip because I'd forgotten that thing existed. And I remember using the Australian version on it. I'm pretty sure when I got stuck somewhere in Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, I was just mm. like... It's so weird to think about that thing existing once upon a time, this hotline you call, pay who knows how much a minute to get past a part of a video game you're stuck. And now you just Google it and there's like, if there's not a YouTube video that just shows you exactly what you need to do, there's a a game FAQ thing that explains it in detail. And just like that that thing that will never, ever exist again, but just... Mm -hmm did for a period of time the people who ran that and that amazing job um is there any stories or episodes in particular i should look out for that you really enjoyed i mean it's been a while since i watched it um no i couldn't say off the top of my head but i just remember watching as i went along and was just enthralled by it yeah no i really really enjoyed it Sadly, if they were ever planning to do a season two that's definitely not happening now because of the end of graphic story which is sad um the Social Dilemma is another Netflix documentary that's come out recently. It's all about the impact of social media on individuals and on the sort of the how it's affecting the course of human history currently. Um, yeah, uh, depressing, if nothing else. It sort of reminds me of the Sugar movie, if you ever saw that, not in the sense of how it's presented, but if it's one of those things that make you go, I should really think about like changing my lifestyle. Like mm. maybe I need to get Facebook off my phone. Maybe I need to delete my account on that thing. Um, It's got these narrative bits. Um, I can't remember the actor's name, but he plays Pete um, Campbell in Mad Men. And he was Angel's son in Angel. That character's name, I can't remember. Uh, Anyway, he 
has these like narrative moments where they're like pretending to be the algorithm of social network, trying to get this kid engaged mm. with mm-hmm. social media and feed him like propaganda YouTube videos and stuff like that. Those bits are a bit dorky and over the head. It's very like um, PSA, like a school movie you might watch talking about like the dangers of unsafe sex or something like that. But yeah, it reminded interview- me kind of of like the dorky What the Bleep movie what about like bleep? quantum physics. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the overall message and the interviews with people who have actually worked on these websites, on on this software, on this technology, etc., um, is fucking frightening, and I think is like required viewing because, yeah, the the path we're on at the moment seems like there are no breaks, and maybe if people were engaged with this a little bit more, understood what they were doing with their phones, computers every day, maybe we could sort of divert course a little bit, but I wouldn't count on it. Mm-hmm. Have you watched it? I have watched it. Yeah, I watched it very late one night. Um, it was actually maybe Ooh. a week after a friend of mine, you know, we're in lockdown at the moment, was struggling a little bit. And so he decided to delete Facebook and Instagram off mm-hmm. of his phone. And I was like, that sounds a little bit nice. I'll try to do that. So I deleted Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. I eventually went back on Twitter because I was just like, that's where I get my news and also I need that Bachelor live stream. It gives me so much joy. So I've got Twitter, but I deleted Facebook and Instagram and have stayed off it very, very easily. I think at one point I tried to get back on Instagram, was there for about 15 minutes and realized it was an absolute shit show and it made me feel gross. So I got off it pretty quickly again. Um, But it made me realize, particularly now because we're in lockdown – it's very easy to get off Facebook at the moment because you don't have events. Mm-hmm. No one's doing anything. And that's the only reason I had Facebook for a very long time was for invitations to things. Um, I, I haven't used Facebook in a very long time and I've realized how toxic Instagram is for me personally. So as I watched it, I was like, I guess this is all stuff that I, I know, um, but it is nice to kind of really see the full impact by those articulated by those within the industry. I feel like Facebook has been actively pushing me off it for a while. Like it's constantly irritating me. I constantly find that experience to be terrible. Um, Mm. Events were keeping me there a little bit, but then I I don't know. It it stopped worrying me. And certainly the pandemic has helped to make that less relevant. Mm -hmm. The biggest, the hardest thing is Messenger. Yeah. Because I know you don't need that app to have the Messenger app working on your phone. But I really want to detach completely from Facebook just because I don't want to support that company. And it, the, I don't know how to make that next step happen for other people. Like, we've got to find an alternative and all agree on it. And Well, I know a lot of people really use hard. WhatsApp. Yeah. And I do have that with other people who don't have Messenger. So, I use that as well. So, I feel like there'll be a slow merge. I mean, mum and dad and blah, 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 aunties and uncles will still be on Facebook. but They can stay there. Meh. I'm leaving them yeah. behind. Um, <laughs> I've just remembered another thing that I've been watching, Broad. Sorry to interrupt. Sure. Um, I have started watching, and I'm up to date now, on The Vow. Have you heard anything about this? I feel like I've heard the name, but I don't know what The Vow is. Okay. So, it's a docu-series about the uh, cult, I'll call it a cult, uh, Nexium. So a little while ago, maybe last year, there was a fantastic podcast about Nexium. Um, so what it is was it was kind of this self-help 
group. They're always self-help groups, aren't they? Um, and you come in and you learn how to be your best self and you go up and it's also got this like multi-level marketing scheme to it. And so you join and then you recruit a bunch of people and they recruit a bunch of people and you try and go up the ranks and you just slowly become your best self. Unfortunately, when you're on the cusp of being your best self, you are then, if you're a woman, brought into a sex cult and branded on your vagina. Um, so there's a lot of darkness in there. So that's the basics of it. But this docu-series and the podcast as well, I think it's just called Nexium, um, goes into all of the details of how this cult came to be, all about the leader who's so gross and disgusting. And every time I think about him, I want to vomit on myself. Um, it's very well done. I think it um, is a further extension of the podcast, which was a great insight into Nexium. This uh, docu-series is made by people who were actually within it. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason I can think of the, the quantum physics documentary, What the Bleep, which I watched back, back in the day when I was in high school, the guy who's in Nexium, who's also making documentary or helping make documentary, made that film. Um, and it's... It's fascinating to see people have these realizations that they're in a cult and try to get out. And then also we get to see the fight of them pretty much destroying the cult, which is very satisfying to watch. It's really, really good and I recommend it. That sounds awesome. Um. I'm going to finish up quickly just talking about a book that I am reading currently. It's called Show Mm -hmm. Me Where It Hurts, Living with Invisible Illness. It's written by a friend of mine and a massive Richmond Tigers supporter, Go Tigers, Kylie Maslin. Um, I'll just read you uh, the blurb just to sort of do it justice. Kylie Maslin has been living with invisible illness for 20 years, more than half her life. Its impact is felt in every aspect of her day-to-day existence, from work to dating, from her fears for what the future holds and her difficulty getting out of bed some mornings. Through pop music, art, literature, TV, film, and online culture, Maslin explores the lived experience of invisible illness with sensitivity and wit, drawing back the veil on a reality many struggle or refuse to recognize. So what I love about this, it's like every chapter is sort of an essay, and what I think would be relevant to people who listen to this podcast, possibly because the 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 sort of the topics of invisible illnesses and chronic illness might be interesting to them, particularly women's mm-hmm. chronic health, but also because this is filtered through like a pop culture lens, which I really love. Um, one of the early chapters is about sort of dating, um, her dating experience with her illness. And she does it through um, a, a Spotify playlist as a reference point, which is fantastic. Mm. There's another episode where she talks about like the comfort she gets from shows like SpongeBob and like animated cartoons. And my favorite one so far that I've read is she's talking about like the power of memes um, on the internet to help communicate some of the more complex feelings or experiences of living with this illness and like how it's somehow or it's been more effective than trying to say like if someone asks how are you um, that's kind of a loaded question for somebody who's trying to you know get by or is maybe feeling a particular way but doesn't want to show that vulnerability right now whatever it might be and how she they've with talking with other people on the internet who are in a similar position to her Memes sort of act as like a 
a shortcut or a, a, a shorthand they can use language-wise. It's really, really good stuff. The only reason I haven't finished it yet is because I have been moving house and really, really busy and mm-hmm. just super tired. But I would highly recommend people check it out. I, I'm sure you would love it, Damascus. What's I'm, it called I'll, again? Show Me Where It Hurts. Subtitle is Living With Invisible Illness. But if you just Google Show Me Where It Hurts by Kylie Maslin, M-A-S-L-E-N, um, you can buy a hard copy. Kylie recommends buying it from a, a local bookseller, particularly in Australia. I think it's probably only at the moment, but there is an ebook available online. So if you search for that, I'm sure you can find the cool. digital version as well. Just in, in terms of that, and I think it relates to it quite well, I think I've only recently, very recently, maybe a couple of weeks ago, came to terms with, and it was through Twitter, that I was like living with a disability, a very minor one. I, I mm. want to preface it with that. But um, I was reading this Twitter thread about someone who was had a, a vision impairment. Mm-hmm. And just in reading it, I was like, and I recently got glasses to correct my strabismus. But I was like, oh, I have been <laughs> living with a visual impairment for the last 10 years and just really refused to see it as such. I was like, oh, it's a bit of a funny quirk. I'm cross-eyed. I have double vision. I can't see. I can't catch a ball. Um, disoriented, sometimes fall over. Um, and then just, I was reading that. Was, cinemas. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I have to have one eye closed if I'm looking at anything. Um, no, Yeah, no depth perception, all that stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I was struggling for a long time and really just kind of refused to see it for what it was Mm. um and that was that was a pretty profound moment for me so i'd be very interested in reading that yeah i think you would and just like i don't necessarily have i don't have a disability or or invisible or anything that i'm aware of anyway or um but the i definitely don't but the i thought just thought the memes thing was really insightful because it does make me realize why i love about twitter in that just how that stuff finds you and then you find yourself in a community and whether it's like, again, I don't really think or I've never been diagnosed with depression, but you see memes about depression or anxiety or how we're feeling in the mm. world today. And it it is an incredibly powerful way of showing or like feeling connected to other people who feel or experiencing the same thing as you. Some, some memes getting around about the lockdown in Melbourne at the moment are incredible mm. and so like relatable yeah. and just uh, it's so amazing simple like illustrating the that. catharsis that comes with acknowledgement yeah i think and uh, you know certain memes certainly have that aspect to yeah. them it's like um i know i was reading something the other day someone got credit they sent an email and they put a smiley face in it and they got a reply saying just so you know smiley face is not considered professional and it's like and they put a sad face as a reply <laughs> yeah but i did see that the the like emoticons or emojis are sort of criticized for being like crappy use of language, but they are also super effective in written language of trying to express what you mean or the feeling behind, like this is language evolving, even if it does seem crude Mm. or crass or simplified or whatever it is. And I think kind of memes on the internet have become the same thing. I don't know. Anyway, that was just one chapter of this book. Highly recommend reading. Show me where it hurts. I think that's an episode. We'll be back next week with our review of I May Destroy You Season 1. Very much looking forward to that. In the Mm -hmm. meantime, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Off Topic Hot Topic. See you next time. Bye. Oh, that's our green velvet couch, by the way. It's very nice. Oh, lovely. It's got brass legs. Where'd you get that from? 
Um, it's a website called Brosa. Would you kill me if I got the exact same bed as you? Because the exact no, same sofa as you? Because I'm going to show that to Steph. She's I wouldn't care, it. bro. <laughs> That's fine. Imagine if I, I was know. like, "Fuck you." No, Isn't this how real housewives drama starts? Oh my god, you bought the same sofa bed as me? How fucking this dare you? This is why I'll never be on a reality show because people will bring a conflict to me. I'll be like, I'm too depressed to care. <laughs> I'm going to go have a nap and a cry, but otherwise, go ahead.